night. I want to look at um, a passage out of Philippians 2 and Mark 10. They're very common passages that I think most of us are very familiar with, um, but I've, I guess, struggled a little bit um, with each of them, just understanding practically what does some of this stuff look like. And uh, I want to just share some thoughts with you guys that way today. I'm going to start in um, Philippians 2. If you have your Bible, go ahead, open it up, follow along. It's worthwhile having your fingers on the pages. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or vain conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I'm going to stop there. The other passage is Mark 10. If you want to flip there for a moment, I'll read both of these and then I'll share a couple of thoughts. Verse 35, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. I love that. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism? with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So these two passages, I think, we hear often, especially when we're talking about servanthood, right? We, do, we don't generally do it here, <laughs> the, uh, the sermon series. But a lot, you know, you'll see a lot of churches that are doing a sermon series on servanthood, and these ones will come out. And I struggle with, with this idea a little bit. The Mark 10, I struggle with the idea of what does a servant look like? Uh, do, do you see Jesus going around and, and sweeping out people's homes? Do you see him running around carrying groceries for people? What, what does a servant look like? I, I don't see that in his life. In the Philippians passage, where, where we're being challenged to consider others more significant than yourselves. How hard is that, huh? I'm a pretty big deal, Lord. Like, I'm supposed to look at this guy over here, and he's more significant than I am? 
And look not only to your own interest, but moreover the interests of others is the next verse. So I want to look at this. I'm going to share a couple thoughts, and then we're going to actually jump into the, life of David, the lives of David and Jonathan for just a few minutes. And I've got the stopwatch going, don't worry. We look at servants today in the context of a Western mindset, where a servant basically is someone who shows up and does a bunch of stuff for you. But Jesus was not addressing a Western mindset. He was speaking in a culture that understood servanthood. They understood people whose entire lives were spent under the rulership and authority of someone else. A servant in our culture looks like the person who shows up to sweep your floors or open the door for you or carry your groceries, the servant of all. And so we go, oh my goodness, I've got to run around doing all of these things for all of these people. Oh my goodness, there's a building project party going over here. I got to be there. Well, I can't be at that one at the same time as this one. How do I do all of these things if I'm going to be a servant of all? But in his culture, a servant was someone who gave their entire life, their entire position for the furthering of someone else's cause and someone else's position. This, ver- this word servant actually means in the service of, which I think takes on a little bit different feel. If you're in the service of someone else, your life is purposed to help them bring about that which is intended for their life and their cause. So in Philippians, what Paul's actually telling us is he's saying, consider not so much what you are about and getting into your calling. Consider the calling of someone else, someone else, someone else, and determine how you can position yourself to bring that about for them. This is what Jesus did for us. Jesus took his position and he used it to bring us up, to exalt us to his level. We're seated in heavenly places with Christ. Jesus wasn't just going around washing everyone's feet. That's how we read the servant of all message. Oh boy, I got to go to another foot washing service. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, like I've done, use your position to further the cause of someone else, to help someone else achieve their interests and their calling. So now, with that in mind, let's take a look at Jonathan. And right before I do, I want you to think about three different things. That a person in the service of another uses his influence, authority, and power to exalt the cause and position of another. First thing to think about, we're in the service of God. How are we exalting his cause and his position in the sight of the world? How can we use the position and the authority that we've been given to further the cause of God and his position in the sight or the perception of the world? Second thing, most of us have jobs. In the service of your employer, how can you exalt the cause and the position of your employer, your company, and your direct supervisor? Guys, this is one of the most simple ways that you can set yourself apart from your peers in your workplace, is that if you demonstrate that you are more interested in the well-being and success of your employer 
than you are with the well-being and success of yourself. The third thing I want to ask you to think about before we get into David and Jonathan, in the service of your friends, think about those closest around you in life. Often we position ourselves near people who satisfy what we need. We hunt for friends who make us feel good. And we hang around them because they are well positioned to help us get where we want to be. But we neglect the other side that's the reciprocity of that relationship. We should be looking at those closest around us and determining, how can I help this person achieve that which he's called to, even if it comes at the expense of what I need and what I'm chasing? So David and Jonathan, oh, oh wait, I got a bookmark, hang on. There it is. You guys feel that when this thing opens up? My dad bought me this about, I don't know, 11, I think it was 11 years ago. He's like, what kind of Bible would you like, son? I'm like, the heaviest one you can find. <laughs> Seriously, we all know that anointing comes on the scripture by weight, so. I had my book marked, and I'm just getting back there. All right. Are you guys familiar with David and Jonathan? How many of you guys are familiar with this story? Okay, I'm going to give a little bit of back, background, if you've not heard it. Saul's the king of Israel, okay? He does some dumb stuff. And his kingdom is taken from him. Samuel has to go to him and tell him, your kingdom's going to be taken from you. Sorry about your luck. And then Samuel's grieving, and God says, go anoint a new king. He sends him to the house of Jesse, where he meets David, who didn't even get invited to the party, right? David's off in the field. We know the story. He comes. David gets anointed king. Then comes the story of Goliath. How many know that one? Okay, if you don't know the story of Goliath, I'm grieving deeply. Story of David and Goliath. David, a little guy, he's kind of a kid still. Big bad giant, taunting. David shows up, fights the big bad giant because the army won't take him on. That's David and Goliath. Done. Now you guys all know the story. How many of you guys know the story of David and Goliath? Everybody. All right, good job. So he goes and he, he, he kills Goliath, he's called in, Saul says, who is this guy? They bring him in, and he, he says, I'm, I'm the son of Jesse. And chapter 18 starts out talking about the son of Saul. His name's Jonathan. He's the heir to the throne of the kingdom that's been taken from his father. Now, what we don't know at this point in the story is whether or not Jonathan knows if the kingdom's been taken from his father yet or not. We don't know for sure. We have the, uh, we could probably assume that he does not know that this fellow David has been anointed the next king because this took place in private and secret. If you remember the story, Samuel was afraid to go to this town because he didn't want to be found out that he was going and anointing the next king. So most likely this took place in secret. 
So now this fellow David, he just kills Goliath. He's in the throne room of the king, and he's, you know, he's, he's making these declarations. And this is how chapter 18 of 1 Samuel starts. As soon as he, David, had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. He saw something in this man that he loved him as his own soul. How do we love our own soul? We, we want the best for it, yeah? <laughs> I mean, I do. He had something happen in his heart where he developed a commitment to David that was equal to that of his commitment to his own soul. And as you read the next few chapters, you see that actually his commitment to David's cause was greater than his commitment to his own cause. This is Jonathan, the son of the king, the rightful heir of the throne. And he begins to do things that you would not do if you were fearful of losing your position. Jonathan's first reaction when his soul is knit to David's, he says, Then Jonathan made a covenant with David. Because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Guys, this is, this is the king's son. This isn't just some robe. This isn't like me grabbing my coat and giving. This is the king's son. And he says, David, I'm going to give this to you. David, the next verse says, and David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war, and this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. This is interesting to me. David knew he'd been anointed king, right? He was at the party. I mean, I know that goes without saying, but he knew He's anointed king. He doesn't come in and say, I'm going to take this kingship because I need to get mine. He comes in and he says, I'm going to serve the king and give my life for the furthering of someone else's kingdom, even though I know I have this word that burns in my heart. Guys, this is hard for us. Because we get these words that burn in our heart and we so badly want to see them come about that we start to make decisions that say, I got to get myself out there. Right? We live in the culture of personal branding. Right? Everyone in here that's... Okay, most of the young people are in the middle. Nothing, nothing against you guys, but you guys know what I'm talking about, right? The personal branding. Come on, somebody... Yeah, thank you, David. You got to have a brand, man. This is who I am. I had to get my name out there. We're in the culture of personal branding. This culture has always been. It's the culture that Jesus was confronting when he said, don't be like the rulers of the Gentiles. They lord their rulership over others. In other words, it's all about my brand and you're here to serve that. He says, you are going to be about building the brand of someone else. David comes into a kingdom that's not his kingdom. It might be, 
But in a family like Saul's, he sees there are several heirs. It's not just Jonathan. There are other sons, as we find out, when Saul's family is all killed. And David comes into this and says, God, I don't know how this is going to come about, but I believe the word you've given me, so I'm going to purpose myself to the furthering of someone else's kingdom. And I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to trust others to bring about the word that burns in me. The remarkable thing to me is, through David's life, when he's serving under Saul's kingdom, you don't see him trying to wrestle personal attention to start building his brand. You see him giving himself over and over and over for the furthering of someone else's cause. Remarkably, the one who should be most threatened, and we find out later in chapter 23 that somewhere between chapter 18, when Jonathan first gets introduced to David, and chapter 23, somewhere in their relationship of sharing souls, it comes out that David is going to be the next king. And Jonathan makes a statement about the kingdom being taken from his father and giving to David. And he says, and when it happens, I will be there with you. If there was anyone on earth that should have been threatened by David in the calling on his life, it would be Jonathan. He had the most to lose. In fact, in this culture, he probably, the new king would have come in and wiped him out. Because you never know when there's going to be some sort of insurrection and they're going to come for my throne again. No one had as much to lose in this kingdom at this time as Jonathan did. And yet Jonathan falls in love with this man as a brother and he says, I'm going to give myself to the furthering of your cause. Repeatedly over the next chapters, you see Saul try to kill David. Jonathan puts his life on the line to go and confront his father. Listen, guys, this is, again, this isn't our culture, okay? <laughs> right? This isn't like your own kids coming and being like, Dad, you're wrong. That happens to me 730 times a day if you're a parent. This, this culture was not that culture. You didn't just show up to the king and be like, guess what, pal, you're out of line. And then so was your head rolling, right? That's how things worked then. Kings regularly killed their sons. It was normal practice. Jonathan puts his life on the line. He goes to his father. He's like, you shouldn't do this to him. He's not sinned against you. And Saul repents. But over and over and over, you see the man who has the most to lose Offer the most using his position and his authority to further the cause of another. This is what I want to emphasize. You don't see Jonathan running around polishing David's armor for him. That's what we think of as a servant, right? We think of a servant as the guy who shows up to shine your boots and help pull him on, right? He, oh, David, let me carry your armor out for you, and then I'll strap you up, and you can go out to battle. That's a servant in our culture, in our minds. Not there. Jonathan had the heart of a servant because he used his full authority, all of his position, all of his stature, 
to further the cause of someone else because his soul was knit to them. Very few people in this culture, their culture, would have had access to the king to go and say, stop confronting and chasing this man. And Jonathan used his authority, his position to go in and help spare David's life for another season. This happens over and over and over and over in their relationship until eventually David, of course, is driven out of the kingdom. Saul and Jonathan are killed. And through a couple of little squabbles with Saul's remaining children, David becomes king. When I read this story, I'm struck by how these two men committed as brothers not to furthering their own causes using their position and their might, but to furthering the cause of the other. This is so rare in our culture, and I don't think we realize just how often what we do is to further our own cause. That's the problem with the servanthood model as we understand it today. Often what we're doing when we run around doing all these acts of service is just to make ourselves look like a servant. And we're really doing a lot of it to to further our own cause. But when we're using our position to leverage the position of someone else, it usually comes at a cost to us, in a great risk to us. But this is what Jesus was referring to when he said the Son of Man has laid down his life for the cause of many, for all of us. He used his position as the perfect lamb before the Father. Great sacrifice to leverage us from broken, dead enemies of God and position us in heavenly places alongside himself. So the challenge for us is less about, gee, do I need to go to another foot washing service? And understanding instead, where has God positioned me today? Where have I been strategically positioned today? Our God is far more strategic than we ever give him credit for. Wherever you are, (laughs) he did it on purpose. Who's whistling? That's incredible. I feel like a challenge has been set forth. Like, I used to practice the Andy Griffith whistle, uh, but my lips are a little dry. I've been going for too long. There's no bell. Somebody else, hey, that was good. Crickets. All right. I got it. There was one laugh. All right, that's okay. Where have you been positioned today? Are you at home with your children? It's strategic. Stop ruining your position staying home with your children and understand it's been purposed for you to use your position to elevate them to a status they could never achieve on their own. If you're in the workplace, you were placed there strategically. Understand that your position 
is not about you coming into the fullness of your calling. This is the challenge. It's not about you coming into the fullness of your calling. It's about the way you will use the position you have today to pull someone else into the fullness of their calling. As you do that, in this upside-down kingdom, God will also leverage you into the fullness of your calling. And he'll use your brothers and your sisters around you who have committed to this kind of relationship with you. But I'll, t- I'll tell you, just, just so you don't get nervous, he doesn't need to. Throughout history, he's gotten people into the fullness of their calling without these kind of relationships. He doesn't need them, but it's ideal. Why is it ideal? Because this is how we become the servant of all and thereby position ourselves to maybe be one of the two that get to sit at his right and his left. Jonathan set a high bar. When I look through Scripture, I have a hard time finding somebody else in Scripture who gave up more to further the position of someone else and thereby qualify themselves to be at the right hand or the left hand of Jesus forever and ever. That's what we're chasing. That's the reward that we're chasing. This isn't just about us coming into the fullness of some temporal calling. This is about our position throughout eternity. Jonathan set the bar. Now it's our privilege to chase it. Because the greatest leaders you'll ever come across are the leaders who use their position to raise others up even beyond the platform they've been given. Jonathan did this for his brother David. He was a prince. That was the highest level of influence that Jonathan ever achieved. But he used his position and his authority as prince to launch David into kingship. And I don't think it ever would have happened if not for this man. It's remarkable what he sacrificed and what he did out of his love for another. So you're strategically placed... What are you doing to further the calling and the cause of those around you, even at the cost to yourself? Second, in the service of your employer, if you're staying home with your kids, they're your employer. (laughs) I'm kidding. Most of us have jobs of some sort, right? Use your position to further the cause of those you work for and those who work for you. If you do this, you will be set apart so quickly in your organization. You're not ever going to have to worry about, oh, gee, I wonder if I'll get promoted. Never have to worry about it. Now look at your friends. Look at your friends and consider, am I more interested in getting them into the fullness of their calling? Or am I more interested in how I can use them or leverage them? Use them has a really negative connotation. But am I looking at this relationship as how can they help me get where I'm going? Partner yourself with people to whom your soul can be knit. 
and who you would give your calling or put your calling on hold to help them come into theirs. Those are the kind of relationships that will be remembered and memorialized throughout eternity. So I'm going to pray for us. This is a, it's a challenging word to chew on because we have to let go of what I want for me and figure out how I can use me to help you. And in the day of personal branding, I have to be willing to use my reputation to further yours, even at the risk that you might pose to my reputation. <laughs> Not that any of us in this building would pose a risk to someone's reputation. But. <coughs> Father, first, would you convict us where we have viewed you as an end, as a means to our end. Would you convict us for ways that we have viewed you and your power as a way to get us to where we want to be and end up? Cause us to see you as the glorious end in all things that you are. And show us how we can live our lives in a, such a way that brings about everything that you want to achieve in this world. Father, each of us has been strategically placed in our community. Give us vision for this. Help us to see things in our colleagues, our coworkers, and our bosses that, that they've never seen for themselves. Give us the courage to call that out of them. And then give us the strength to serve them until it comes to pass. Father, for those that we're closest to and those that we live alongside every day, give us mercy and grace. Mercy for our selfishness, our self-centric way of looking at life, even though we don't even realize it. Give us mercy. And give us grace that we could live and see selflessly. Give us vision for how we can help our spouses come into everything you intend for them. That our greatest joy would be the success of our spouse. Bring friends around us, Father. That our greatest longing is to see them become everything you called them to be. And give us friends, Father, who have the same heart burning for us. Let us become a unified community, a unified body. The way you dreamed we could be. We love you, Father. Amen.